The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll be reading from verse 7 to the end, verse 19. Manual labors form calluses on their hands. Guitarists form calluses on their fingertips. And these kinds of calluses are good for the protection of the hands to enable the worker to be productive and without pain. But there's a dangerous kind of a callus that can form on our hearts. If we view life, God, and others with cynical unbelief and self-protection, the author of Hebrews writes a warning to the people of God in the verses that follow. Those of us who have ears to hear, let us listen to God's word and avoid the danger of a hardened heart. Please follow as I read chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, As the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As they swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they, should, that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, once again I would ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Your hindsight is 2020, but if we're going to learn from our mistakes, from the mistakes of others, we have to be committed to it. We have to be committed to avoiding the same pitfalls. We have road signs on the highways for our own protection, and we ignore them and other warning signs to our own peril. 
the author of Hebrews writes a warning from a warning, quoting this important passage from Psalm 95, which in its time was challenging believers in that day, using the Exodus generation as a sad negative example, helping them to avoid those same pitfalls. That generation was characterized by a a hardened heart, described by having deaf ears, a spirit of unbelief and rebellion. As we read the references to the hearts, we're reminded that that the biblical image of the heart, that the heart is like a sponge. You know, a sponge can become hard and dry and useless. But when when the sponge is wet, when it is filled with water, it becomes useful. And so it is with the human heart. We can become hard and dry and calloused. But when we are renewed, when our hearts are transformed by God's grace, we're able to take in God's word to listen, believe, and repent unto new life in Jesus Christ. It's been said that God gave us two ears and one mouth, a, a picture that parents often remind their children when they are failing to listen properly. Many parents and teachers get frustrated with children who don't listen, who need instruction and correction over and over again. But as I study Scripture, I realize that we are no different from our children. And thankfully, we have a patient God who teaches us and instructs us, reminds us over and over and over again. Verse 7 begins with quoting the Holy Spirit, reminding us that the Holy Spirit is God. We worship a triune God, one that speaks through the psalmist and commands us to hear the voice of God. Our God is one that uses words, communicating to us through his prophets and apostles to help us receive his message of truth and grace. God spoke creation into existence. He speaks to us through the written word, and he speaks to us through the word became flesh, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit in this passage, quoting Psalm 95, warns us, warns us, warns God's people of every age not to let our hearts get hardened. The Exodus generation, the the people that Moses led out of Egypt through the wilderness wanderings, are exhibit A for how not to respond to signs and wonders of the living God. It says that God tested them, tested them to reveal their hearts. Now, God knew. God was not ignorant of what was in these people's hearts, but the people themselves were ignorant, and they needed testing. They needed trials to expose and reveal what was there, their struggle and lacking true heart faith. The heart, biblically speaking, is the gut reaction center of our brains. It's how we respond without even thinking. When life hits us without warning, the way we respond, the way we re- react, is what the Bible speaks of in terms of our hearts. And to think about how our hearts are exposed. When we receive disappointing news, when we encounter difficult circumstances, when we meet unmet expectations, we encounter conflict and controversy, when we come upon unanticipated and undesirable change. Unless we are receiving such circumstances with humble faith in God, oftentimes we react in fear or anger 
And that exposes the condition of our heart that needs faith and repentance. It would be clear to us from God's Word that God desires us to trust Him, to have hearts that yield to His sovereign goodness with the quietness of faith. Now, God is the teacher, but His people Israel put Him to the test. And God repeatedly passed that test by delivering His people out of slavery, heaping plagues upon the Egyptians, bringing them to their knees, parting the Red Sea, providing manna in the wilderness and water from the rock. Israel saw all these wonders and responded with deaf ears, unbelief, and rebellion. In many ways, these peoples were the forefathers of the scribes and the Pharisees, who repeatedly put Jesus to the test seeking to trap him in his words, having seen the signs, having heard his sound teaching, and yet refusing to listen and to believe in him that he was sent by God. Those with a hardened heart are never satisfied without their hearts being saturated with God's grace. They are like C.S. Lewis's black dwarves, the characters from the Chronicles of Narnia who refuse to put their trust in Aslan despite all the signs and wonders and stubbornly repeat their mantra. The dwarves are for the dwarves. Seeing is not believing, in contrast to the popular mantra of our day. In fact, the opposite is true, that we must first believe before we can see and understand the ways of God like blind Bartimaeus, who believed the word and power of the Lord Jesus and was rewarded with clear sight. But if we are to believe, we must first have ears to hear. It says here that God judged the Exodus generation because they provoked him to wrath and responded with deaf ears, with a spirit of grumbling and murmuring. They even accused God of evil intent, cynically asking, was it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out into this wilderness to die? That people preferred the predictability of slavery and service to false gods and idols rather than taking up the burden, the risk, and the the holy freedom of the life of faith, following the Lord, trusting him step by step in the wild wastelands. That generation was like the traitor Cypher, if you're familiar with the Matrix series. A man who grew tired of the reality of warfare and the struggle was easily seduced to return to the delusional world of the Matrix, betraying his comrades and becoming a slave again to the machines. God punished this generation of people with death. They were refused entry into the promised land. They did not receive the rest that God desires for his people, that the shalom, that that peace and security that God desires for his people to dwell with him in his presence forever. We'll address that rest in more detail two weeks from now when we cover chapter 4 of Hebrews. So the first step to avoid a hardened heart is to listen Hear the word of God. Allow it to soften and moisten your hard, dry heart. 
Do not be like Pharaoh who refused to listen to God's servant Moses, whose heart became like stone to the detriment of his entire nation. As sinners, we are spiritually hard of hearing. And so we need to draw near. We need to come closer. If you have a hearing impediment, you'll get a hearing aid. You, you will do whatever you can to hear and listen effectively. So what do we do in a day and age where there is so much noise? There, there is so much competition for our attentions. There's so many things trying to influence us. We, we need to tune into the frequency of God's Word. Listen to Isaiah 55 that says, Listen diligently to me. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. We have to filter out the nonsense, the, the noise and all the lies that compete for our heart's affections. We need to allow God's word, its truth, to sink in. To remember that God is God. He is my maker. He is my redeemer. He is a God who, who loves me. He is a God who counts you precious in his sight. You are valuable to him. But he is the God who has not abandoned you. He has not given up on you. You have purpose and worth and a glorious inheritance that has been secured for you in heaven through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, and you will live. Secondly, the author of Hebrews warns us against unbelief. He says, take care. Take care, brothers, which means to, to watch yourself. Remember, Paul instructs Timothy to watch your life and your doctrine. This means to, to take inventory of yourself, to be honest with yourself. It means do not be deceived, but be transparent with yourself, with God, and with trusted friends in Christ. And he says, take care, lest any of you develop an evil, unbelieving heart. I believe that he's referring to the kind of heart that is poor soil in reference to Jesus' parable where the seed fell upon the rock and the weeds in the path but failed to take root and bear fruit. Now, I don't believe the author of Hebrews here is saying he's not requiring us to have no evil thoughts and not have any doubts. We can hardly be human in this fallen world and not have such thoughts on occasion. But the key question is, what will you do with it? Will you embrace and, and cherish these evil thoughts? Or will you soundly reject them as offensive to a holy, good, and loving God? Notice there's also a difference between doubt and unbelief. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and it says there in Matthew 28 that his disciples worshipped him, but some doubted. But notice that they did not follow their doubts. Rather, they overcame them to become faithful witnesses, even martyrs unto death. Now, verse 12 goes on to clarify that, he is a, that uh, the, the evil heart that leads us to fall away from the living God. When paired with verse 14, it becomes clear that the author here is emphasizing what we call the perseverance of the saints— what does it mean to stay faithful in this life for the life to come? It's clear that holding firm in confidence to the end is a sign that one truly shares in Christ. And his teaching is consistent throughout Scripture. 1 John 2, 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
We know that we are saved by faith, not by any work that we have done, but by the finished work of Christ. And yet our faith must be accompanied by works, that, that, that good works and perseverance flow naturally out of the true believing heart. But as we journey on the way, under the challenges of life, seeds of unbelief can seep in and harden our hearts. And so, sometimes I call the doctrine of perseverance, the really, it's the doctrine of preservation, affirming that God's power and his grace is what sustains us to the end. I appreciate how one of our missionaries writes at the end of each of his newsletters, I hold on firmly because I am firmly held. I've had the privilege in recent months to lead morning devotions at the North Star Initiative. North Star is a ministry we support uh, that provides a home of refuge for women that have been rescued from sex trafficking. And the leadership there decided to start bringing pastors in to introduce men that are safe uh, to women who have only known abuse and hurt from men in their lives. And I've been using a theme on why Jesus is safe for women as I've gone to minister there. Now, one thing that uh, I've observed while being there, you know, if, if anyone had the right to be hardened of heart, it's these women who have suffered abuses that we cannot even imagine and can't even talk about in a public setting. But here's a curious fact I've noticed in the times that I've been here. Each time there's been at least one woman who is very guarded, very suspicious of me, and that evident on her facial expression, on her body language, and that is very understandable to to how to receive God's word from uh, a strange man. But I've also noticed this in my attendance there, that there's also been a woman each time who has recently been converted, who has embraced Christ, who hungers for the word with great joy, eager to learn and bathe her heart in the healing balm of the gospel. She demonstrates a heart once hardened, redeemed now by the precious blood of the Lamb. All of us suffer trials, some to greater or to some to lesser extent, and I have no doubt there are people in here who have suffered abuse or who feel beat up, chewed up and spit out by life. But I can say this, no one has the right to have a hardened heart. Nobody is entitled to their unbelief. No one's excuses will stand on the day of judgment, no matter how much one has had to endure. And that may sound harsh, but I believe it is the loving thing to say to anybody who feels like God has let them down or the church has failed them. In recent years and even recent months, many high-profile lawsuits have been in the news media regarding Catholic priests and some of the Baptist ministers and other clergy who are guilty of committing sex abuse crimes against children. That is truly a wicked evil that must not be condoned. These perpetrators must be brought to justice, and we need to do everything we can to ensure the protection of our children. Jesus said, better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into a deep lake than to lead one of these children astray to corrupt a child. 
physical, emotional, and spiritual trauma is brutal. And from a human vantage point, we can be very sympathetic. It's very understandable why some people will become very self-protective. But the hardening of the heart does not lead to life, but death. There's much evil under the sun. And wax, when it's under the heat of the sun, melts. But notice that clay hardens. And the question I have for you today is that you endure, as you endure the heat of life, will your heart be like wax, tender and malleable in the hands of the Lord? Or will your heart become more like clay, hardened, impenetrable, and irredeemable? The author goes on in verse 13 to have us exhort one another. We have a responsibility to each other. It turns out we are our brother's keeper. There are no lone rangers in God's economy. And those who insist on walking alone fall away from the pack only to get eaten by wolves, as seen in wildlife videos. The cheetahs and the hyenas hunt for the easy prey that drifts away from the herd. So stick to the herd. That's where you will find safety. And it may smell. And we do step on each other's feet from time to time. It gets awkward as the herd moves faster or too slow for our taste and preferences. But it's where we find safety. It can be well-fed, grow, and flourish as God intended. Notice verse 13 says to exhort one another every day, not just on Sunday. We need fellowship outside of the Lord's Day worship. We cannot grow as God intended without other believers with whom we can study God's word, pray, serve alongside of, witness with, listen to, and encourage. We try to provide lots of opportunities for you here at Westminster to get involved. We have home fellowship groups. We have groups for women, groups for men. We have youth group and kids club. We have various service opportunities to teach ESL, to care for refugees, to teach and reach out to public school children. We have choirs and ensembles that meet weekly, not only to practice, but to pray for one another and encourage one another. Let me urge you to get involved. To get involved and be part of God's work here. Because you need it. And the body of Christ needs you. Because as it says here in the text, sin is deceitful. We don't go it alone. You can't fight alone. You need a Savior, and you need the body of Christ to help you, lest our hearts become hardened. In verses 16 through 19, we find a third warning against rebellion. He returns to the Exodus generation by by way of negative example. This generation that that saw the works of God, refused to believe, rebelled with hardened hearts. They provoked the Lord for 40 years and died in the wilderness. Some 1.2 million people. That's on average 80 funerals a day to bury people in the wilderness. A people whom God God swore will never enter his rest. You and I find ourselves living in a society full of rebellion. There is rebellion against life, a war on the unborn. 
There is rebellion against God's design for sex, marriage, and gender. We find a rebellion against decency and civility. We live in a world that's defiant to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Asia face persecution and hostility from their governing authorities on a weekly basis. We must be wise and guarded lest we be influenced by the spirit of rebellion in our age. But just as pernicious, perhaps even more dangerous than the rebellious spirit on the outside is the rebellion in our tendencies of our own fallen parts. We are rebellious when we hate our brother, when husbands fail to love their wives, when wives refuse to respect their husbands, when parents are excessively controlling or neglectful of children. We are rebellious when we hold a grudge, when we withhold forgiveness, when we fail to repent and humble ourselves and confess to one another. So how? How do we deal with the rebellion in our hearts? Well, first consider the Exodus generation. Uh, people to whom I can only reply, how sad. I mean, they, they witnessed the incredible miracles of God toppling the greatest empire of that age. God rescued them with mighty works. He ransomed them from slavery. They dwelt in God's holy presence. They had freedom to enter into the promised land. And they squandered it. Like Esau, who sold his birthright for a cup of lentil stew. Like Lot's wife, they turned back longing for the luxuries and the idols of Egypt. And Sodom and Gomorrah, only to be consumed with them. You and I are so privileged. We have so much wealth, so much opportunity, not just in financial terms, but in spiritual, biblical terms. We, we have resources and Bibles and Bible studies. We have so much at our disposal. Will you take advantage of it? Will you utilize it? Will you seek to make it known and make it available to others? We have an implied warning here not to neglect so great a salvation. So listen, believe, and repent. You know, the problem with the Exodus generation and the problem with the people who not only rejected Moses, but those during Jesus' day who rejected him, is that they did not know and embrace God for who he was. They wanted God on their own terms. Just think of the golden calves. They wanted a God to do their bidding, to serve their purposes. And when God deviated away from their plan, did something unpalatable to them, they responded with violent opposition and rebellion. Ours is not a demanding God. He is not capricious like the false gods. He is a holy God, a righteous God, a good God, a God who will be exalted among the nations, with us or without us. The temptation to become hardened can be strong. Naomi returned to Bethlehem after her time away in Moab, instructing the women of the town to call her bitter because the Lord had made her life bitter. And her circumstances were bleak. She lost a husband. She lost both of her sons. 
But the Lord had plans to bless her, to use her hardship to bring about a mighty redemption. That the union of her faithful daughter-in-law Ruth and Boaz, who would produce the line of King David, the forefather of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. A little servant girl could have become hardened of heart towards the Lord after she was captured and made a slave in Syria far from home, far away from her family. But rather than become bitter and vindictive, she showed compassion upon her master Naaman and told him that there was a prophet in Israel who could heal his leprosy. And her testimony led to his salvation. Joseph had every reason in the flesh to hate his brothers, to resent God for having been sold into slavery in Egypt far away from his father. But rather than stew there in self-pity, Joseph took refuge in the Lord who was with him, who raised him up to become the deliverer of Egypt and Israel. Later, Joseph would pity his brothers. And after having tested them to prove their heart change, embraced them and provided for them in Egypt. Joseph concludes that narrative with the truth that though what they intended for evil, God intended for good the salvation of many lives. Naomi, the little servant girl and Joseph, all knew the living God, his power and his grace, and believed that God could bring good out of evil and believed in the Lord despite their dreadful circumstances. They humble us. They convict us. They remind us that we are not entitled to a bad attitude, to our pity parties, to a grumbling spirit. As God's children, we have no right to complain, to demand our own way, to have the last word. All of these toxic ailments lead to the hardness of heart. But what's the cure? The cure is repentance. The cure is renewed faith and repentance through the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is what softens the heart, gives us new spiritual eyes to see, gives us fresh perspective upon our difficult circumstances. And repentance sets us free to serve the true God, to become a blessing to others and gives us the privilege of spreading the name and the fame of Jesus Christ among the nations. I read recently this from a missionary serving in Afghanistan. In this stronghold of Islam, where are the Iranians with universities and wealth? Why have they not sent doctors and nurses here? Where are the Saudis, the Egyptians, or the people of the Emirates are washing oil and designer islands? These countries, are sen- these countries are sending fighters and suicide bombers, but not doctors and nurses. Out here among the poorest and the neediest, it is Christians, not Muslims, who are caring for the sick and the dying. But it's not because we are better than they are. It's because our God is better than their God. Ours is a better salvation. Ours is a better assurance. Ours is a better Savior. Ours is a better hope for this life and the life to come. 
because of the greatness and the power and the graciousness of our God. Our God who promised to remove our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Let me challenge you today, if you need a new heart, that you would undergo the Lord's heart surgery, that you would use this season of life to come to the Lord, to humble yourself, to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how greatly you have sinned. No matter how much you have been sinned against, there is hope and there is healing for you in Jesus Christ. Friends, do not let your heart be hardened. To miss the way, to miss the grace, and so neglect such a great salvation. Listen to God's word. Believe in the gospel of God's grace. Repent of your sin and be saved to enjoy and to live the life that truly is life in Christ. Let us pray. A great God and Father, you have given us so much, not sparing your own son, but given up freely for us as we enter into Holy Week. May we remember that you have given us new hearts through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you renew us, revive us, strengthen us, and enable us to live as your witnesses before a watching world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.